senorita Really nice to meet ya Have some tequila and stay this week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Dr. Kapil Para, cardiologist and author of Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. We've all been there. We get one symptom and we go to the internet and we search and we find whatever pops up first and then we convince ourselves that we have that. He wrote a book as a cardiologist and after working six years at Google on how to advocate for your health by searching the right way. The book educates you and allows you to be an advocate for your own health by searching effectively, having the right information when you go and talk to your doctor. So excited to talk to him. He's also the medical lead on Google Fit, uh, the app in the app store. And as a cardiologist, I need to know how he feels about my daily margaritas. And this episode is brought to you by my favorite water, Flow Alkaline Spring Water. Go check them out at flowhydration.com and use Squats and Margaritas 20 to get 20% off. Here is my episode with Dr. Kapil Park. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I love the title, by the way, Squats and Margaritas. Thank you. Appreciate it. I always get scared when I talk to a doctor, especially a cardiologist. Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> How bad is alcohol um, when living a healthy lifestyle? And moderation is perfectly fine. Right. What would you say is moderation? <laughs> um, you know, it's different for everybody. But, um, you know, what I tell so my patients are different because they all have heart disease. And so I have to tell them to, you know, a couple of drinks a day and no more than that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, I think generally speaking, right, we all know what sort of what's um, healthy and if it's not interfering with your daily life and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And I feel like I do have daily cocktails, but it's part of my lifestyle. And I feel like if I didn't have that, I would just have the couple nights a week where I let myself drink and then I would drink too much because it's like when you don't allow something in your lifestyle, then you go crazy and like off the rails. So I can have a glass of wine or two and not drink a whole bottle of wine because it's a part of my lifestyle. And speaking of red wine, isn't that also um, good for your heart? <laughs> <laughs> Cardiologist. All good things, right? <laughs> This is just going to be about alcohol. I don't know if you That's want to right. talk about your book. Um, so searching for health. I wanted to know how the book came about. Did you wrote it with your friend? Well, so Anna is a, is a friend. Actually, she's the backstory. She's, she's a good friend of my wife's. And um, I started writing and, and my wife, who I love dearly, is uh, usually the secret to the success of many of my things. Took one look and she's like, look, I think you have a good idea, but go talk to Anna because I'm not sure you can write. <laughs> so Anna is a, a, a wonderful person. She's a, 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 journalist, a, a journalist. She's so she trained at Columbia and she spent 10 years working on public health. And um, so she really understands communication. Then she brings her own personal experiences as a patient. And that's how we put it together. It's perfect. And you're a cardiologist. You worked at Google to make health information more accessible. And the book is Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. I'm sure it came about because what people do is they get a symptom, they put it in Google. As soon as you see something that matches, it's like, ah, I have that self-diagnosed. And then you almost, if you go to the doctor, your agenda is to tell them why you have this. So your book is to show people, you said educating yourself so you can be an advocate for your health and feel right. empowered. It bridges the chasm between the health information online and the person on the other end of the search box. 
That's exactly right. Yeah. I like the part about thinking like your doctor. What is it? O-P-Q-R-S-T. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit when you're talking yeah, about your absolutely. symptoms? Sure. So, you know, what we try to do is, is bridge that gap, right? Like you find all this information online and doctors have ways to process information that most people don't have access to. And so we're not trying to make you a doctor, you know, by reading the book, but the idea is you can use those tools in a useful way. So let's go back to the example of like you have some, some symptom and you go put it in a search box and see what comes out the other end. So what we try to do is say like, look, you know, we know this is going to happen and, and we know many people f- go down that, that sort of path. So how can you, first of all, just capture your symptoms appropriately ahead of time. So if you write down all you have and the mnemonic is like onset, when did it start, you know, and, and the, each letter stands for something and you can go through that and you just write it all down. Then when you go online and it says, oh, there's this rare condition if you have tingling in your legs, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, maybe that one time. No, no, no. Just <laughs> right. take a look. Did you write that? No, if you didn't write it down, you probably didn't have it. Right. Don't go down that path, right? Like, because you can make up these symptoms. There's actually, and this predates the internet, by the way. So there's this thing called medical student disease where like every medical student will read about all this. Like, oh, wait, I might have. And they're like, convinced mm-hmm. they're dying. I had that. I, I was convinced I was dying at one point. And then you go talk to a real doctor. Like, you're fine. And mm-hmm. so... Um, it's this idea of how do you take those tools and, and just keep yourself honest and find things that are useful. The other thing is like you go to a doctor and there's not a lot of time. You have a few minutes to get through, you know, your questions or whatever time that they have. They have their own agenda that they're trying to get through. Mm-hmm. So things like the OPQRST can help you write all this stuff down so that they can collect the information efficiently that they need to collect. And then you can have some time to ask your question, like, you know, doc, this is what I'm worried about. And we put in scripts, like, here's why I'm worried about this. So you frame it in a way that makes sense to the doctor. And then you can get out of the way and let them do their job. Because in the end, you want their expertise to help you. And so it's really about trying to build this collaborative relationship between you as the engaged patient who's taken the trouble to find stuff online and like you care about your health and your doctor who's also there trying to help you. And how do you sort of bring that together in a more useful way? Yeah. And you, you made a great point about there's not a lot of time. I always kind of feel like that when the doctor's in there, it's like, okay, go. And I have so many notes, but you said, be prepared, like with your medical history and bring it. And I never even thought about that before. So that there could be something like right there that's explaining it and you don't even bring it up. But if you have it, that's exactly right. It's all about efficiency, right? We can read a lot faster than we can talk. And so how can you, again, like, it's just small things like that that can a little bit here and a little bit there can make all the difference. And the, the chasm isn't as big as people think it is and it's surmountable, but it's just these little things that if you talk to somebody, so we have a, a several friends who unfortunately had had multiple health issues and they become expert patients and they know how to do this. They know how to work the system. They know how to be prepared. They know how to advocate for themselves well, you don't have to go through all these conditions to become an expert patient the hard way, right? Like we should all understand. Now, ideally the system wouldn't require that and it'll be all perfect and doctors would have tons of time so we can all chat at our leisure. That's just the reality. So plan B is, okay, how do you become an effective advocate so that without having to go through like multiple rounds of the health system to then like get to where you need to be? Yes, and I, um, I like the part about like not overreacting when you hear hoofbeats think horses, not zebras. I'm like Buffalo, like a herd of <laughs> Buffalo. Like I'm like, I completely overreact. And you're right. It's like, the, it just so happens. You, you also talk about like credible websites. Like sure. if you happen to put in a symptom and the first thing that comes up, they like say it's cancer or something. 
first of all, see where that came from. Like, is right. it a medical, is it like a .gov? Is it a .edu? That's or, exactly because right. it's like, you see it and then you're like, oh. And the other part was how likely is it? Like, what else could it exactly. be? What you else know, could like, it be? How, Such a critical question. And you know, that's something doctors, we get trained to ask ourselves too. So like, I'm a cardiologist. I see patients, somebody comes in with chest pain. My mind goes, oh, you have something wrong with your heart. And we talk through all your possible, like, so where, when did it start? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, hmm. And then you stop for a second and say, wait, what else could it be? They're like, wait, maybe it could be GI. So then I talk to you about nausea and other things and make sure that I'm not missing anything. You know, when we search online, our, our search patterns are designed to answer questions. You're going somewhere for dinner. So you're looking for one restaurant, not many. You, you, so you narrow it down to cuisine, you narrow it down to restaurant, and that's where you're going to go. When you're looking for your symptoms, what you actually want to do is not look for one answer, but look for a list of possible answers, which doctors call a differential diagnosis. And you go through that list and you come up with a couple of things that you could have. And then, like you said, like kind of match them up to say, oh, is this how prevalent is this? Is this really likely that I have this? Instead of, you know, fixating on that first thing that pops up and then going deep on that and then never coming back to like, could it be something else? Yes. And are you familiar with Dr. Seema Yasmin? She's on like CNN medical correspondent. I had her on, she has a book called um, Viral BS. And it's basically okay. about how misinformation can spread faster than the virus itself. Right. <laughs> I feel like this is almost like another episode of that. Like how often do you see, it's just people just are, I don't know, like their mom or their sister. Well, she sure. had this. So then you decide that this is what you have and misinformation spreading because you're putting it in Google. And, but I feel like you, you start with Google because you don't technically, like, you don't want to call your doctor right away. Like at what point you, you almost go there to see, is it worthy of calling the doctor? That's a, You know, it's not realistic that at 2 a.m. you're going to be able to reach a, a doctor, right? Sure. Like it's just the reality of it is that we see our doctors episodically from time to time. And we have health needs that arise almost continuously. Well, far more frequently than we see doctors. And so we have to find ways to address those health needs. And the idea is that the information online can help you bridge that gap from one visit to the next where you need to find something and then figure out what to do about it. The, the challenge is finding the right information and then knowing what to do with it of how do you, you know, sort of act on that information. I, I, I want to sort of dig deeper a little bit on the misinformation piece. Yes. And there's another component of it that many people don't realize, which is there is an emotional layer to information and an informational layer to content, right? And there are, the informational is pretty straightforward. These are the facts. This is what happens. And many scientists, many public health experts focus on the, the information component of it. It ends up being dry and sometimes hard to relate to. And what many other people will do is like, they'll write something that's it very emotional. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be written. It can be spoken, whatever. But the content is like, you know, I have kids, you write about some kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can relate to that as a parent. This, mm -hmm. I get this. And then, and then they'll throw in some information in, in that context. And because you emote, because you feel that emotional connection, you start to believe the information is, well, well yeah, no, the guy like kind of sounds like me. Sounds like being a dad must be true what they're saying about this stuff too. And you have to stop for a second and double check that, right? With credible websites, maybe talk to your doctor before you act on it and make a decision, right? And, and it's always difficult to stop when you're in the middle of that journey to be like, oh, wait a second, let me just double check this. Or does this make sense? Because you're sort of drawn in and that's kind of, they, they design that content to be like that. So for sure, you, you sort of have to be careful with some of those things. 
do you have like what would be your reputable sites like if you are is is a web md somewhere that you want to go yeah and i think for sure like you know if you think of the order of you know reputable websites i think of the .gov the cdc and so on mm-hmm. as the most reputable. And then you think of like big institutions like the Mayo Clinic and so on. And generally, you know, places like WebMD and Healthline are pretty reliable. It's, it's not that most people don't know the difference between a blog and the CDC. It's more that either you get capt- captivated by the emotional content and you don't mm-hmm. double check, right? And so you sort of fall into that um, category. Or the other part of it is like, yes, you, you happen to land on the Mayo Clinic and you know that's the right website, but you didn't stop to check what else it is, right? So like, you're like convinced, oh, like we write about this woman, for example, and it's a details of being changed for privacy, but we write about this woman who had some bloating and things and she searched and the first thing was like celiac disease and she read that on Mayo Clinic oh, and I all these like, reliable things, right? And yes. so you're like, oh, these are all reliable websites. I'm looking yes. at this, I didn't stop to think what else it could be. I'm going to go gluten-free and sure enough, it has some effect on you. So you start feeling better. Like, hey, look, see, I've fixed myself and I didn't even have to go into the doctor. It turns out to be something much more serious. And it's so, an ulcer for that woman? In, yeah. in that particular case, it was an ulcer right. that was bleeding out. And then uh, oh. she actually ended up in the ER and thankfully did okay. But, um, you know, it, it, the idea being that, like, when you, when you are trying to navigate this information space, these are some practical tools that you can use to organize information to think through all the possibilities in, a, in the same way that doctors do. Yes. So at least you're starting from a, a more informed place. And then when you take it back to them and say, hey, here's what I've found, here's what I'm worried about, and here's, can you help me help myself? Then it's a much more collaborative discussion as opposed to, here's what I have, here's the medicines I need, why are you not prescribing this for me, right? Like it's a, yeah. you wanna find a way to collaborate because in the end, like their expertise is something they worked really hard to get and could help you. So you want to find a way to work together. That's why I think the tools in your book are so helpful, like tracking it from the onset, looking for patterns and stuff. If you're looking at that and putting that with what you're looking at online, it's a difference than panicking, going, how are you feeling right now? And then convincing yourself that you have this, like your book allows you to, you know, write it down, think like a doctor, know the onset of it. So you don't overreact and only think about the symptom you may be feeling in the moment. Um, and I saw, did you say it said something like the, the symptom trackers, some of those are like, right, like 30, 35% of the time. So you putting in the, the symptoms that you're feeling right now in a symptom tracker and then self-diagnosing yourself versus having all the information using the OPQRST, you're making a more informed decision thinking like a doctor. Yeah, no, so symptom trackers do, ha- it's higher than 30%, but like they're, okay. <laughs> they're inaccurate, it's flipped. Like there's, depending on the study, you quote some of them are inaccurate 20 to 30% of the time. But I think, you know, they have their uses too. The, the bottom line is like, we, we're not trying to replace a doctor with any of these things. Right. Not with a book, not with a symptom tracker. It's really, you want to make a more informed decision. And so the idea is, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, you've got some symptom. Do you wait it out? Do you go in? Do you like try some home remedy and and there's some sort of idea in between there of what's the right step and then in addition to the like practical things of like the the symptom tracker and stuff like that we also threw in some stuff about like here are the options available to you which many people don't even realize exist so like many practices and insurance companies have triage lines you call somebody up, you speak to a nurse and they walk you through an algorithm and they'll ask you questions and things like that Um, 
And if you don't know that even existed, we actually gave our copies of the book for pre-reviews. And one of uh, the people who got it wrote us back saying they developed symptoms a few days later, called the triage line because there were some concerning search results. And then they sort of walked through that and they sent them to the ER. And sure enough, they got some tests and the doctor said it was the right thing to do because they were worried about a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot in the lungs. And it's the sort of thing that if you didn't even know a triage line existed, yes. right, you wouldn't know to, to, to go there and that validated the decision of, okay, fine, I'm going to get out of bed in the middle of the night and go to the ER and that sort of thing. And, and these are the kinds of navigational t- tools that can be quite useful. And the other thing we talk about is beyond the symptoms, once you have a diagnosis, what do you do? And, you know, mm-hmm. people find themselves like you get a diagnosis or your friend has a diagnosis or your caregiver and you have to deal with the diagnosis. And then you have to navigate the health system of like finding the right treatments and making sure you get to all the different specialists. And sometimes they don't always talk to each other. And how do you sort of navigate that whole process? So we throw in some tools in there for that as well. And that's a nice way to help somebody who's dealing with that because oftentimes we feel helpless. A friend gets diagnosed with something and like you could give them something practical and useful yeah. in, in dealing with those kinds of situations. Or something that could happen to you, like the last chapter oh, sure. on like making tough decisions. I read through that, like that was so informative and it's like morbid. You don't want to think about that. Like I'm going to be yeah. 40, but like DNRs and I don't have any of that in place. And you kind of like walk through those tough decisions for maybe your caregiver for someone or Absolutely. for yourself. Yeah. The, the genesis of that chapter is really, you know, um, as, as we were writing the book, we thought about these are the things people search for, but what don't they search for that they should be searching for. Right. Yeah. And, and this is one of those things where it's uncomfortable. No one wants to type that in and no. look for it, but how can you surface that? to people to be reminding them that, you know, it's not, it's not the most comfortable, but if you take care of it, then when, if, and when God forbid you ever need those sorts of things, they're in place and, and you have, you know, your wishes are respected and things like that. And it's honestly a lot better for the people around you as well, your loved ones, so they don't have to deal with all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it, I think it's important um, to keep all of that in mind. Yeah. And it, I just feel so much more knowledgeable after that chapter, like learning, I don't like CPR isn't as effective as everyone thinks, like assuming making those decisions if somebody's on like life support, the, what you actually should expect from that. Like when people That's just, exactly right. you know, have to make those decisions, I feel completely empowered after reading that. <laughs> I'm so glad. Chat. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, you know, a lot of our, our knowledge comes from like television, like you watch the shows and yes. they jump off the gurney and they come back to life. So Clear. yeah, <laughs> let's, let's Clear. do that. <laughs> and then they're back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. right. And that's yeah. not, so it's not, is a, I think it said like CPR, like 25%, like one out of four people will be brought back with CPR. It, yes. The, the percentage wow. is surprisingly low. It really depends what you look like going in. So like a young person has a better chance and what happens So like, you know, best case scenario is like if you're young and you drown and if you're like old and had a heart attack is like sort of worst case scenario and then everything is in between. But it, it's not anywhere near as effective as what they show on movies and, yes. and things like that. It's just, and you don't just want to be brought back on a ventilator. You want to be brought back functional and like walking out of the hospital and being able to do the things that you enjoy doing. And honestly, the odds of that are, are surprisingly low. And most people don't recognize that at all. No, they don't because of TV. That's right. <laughs> Too much Grey's Anatomy. Yes. <laughs> um, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you're the medical lead at Google Fit. What yes. is Google Fit? Oh, that's a great question. So to be clear, um, I've been at Google six years. I worked on search for three. I now work on um, fit. And um, this effort is separate from my day job. So the Mm -hmm. the book is uh, a personal effort. Uh, My work at Google fit is 
around um, sort of, so Fit is an app that's on uh, smartphones, it's on smartwatches, and um, I'm in Google Acquired Fitbits, I work with that team as well, but we essentially work oh, on, how you, uh, <laughs> on health features around wearables and phones. Cool. I need to get that app. I didn't have that app. <laughs> and I got my wearable got, I have two kids. Oh, yes. My phone is lost right now because of my kids. <laughs> I don't have a phone. Thank God this was on Zoom. My Fitbit yeah. got wet at giving my son a bath. So I don't have that uh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> Google Fit. Now I know that you're a part of that app. I'm going to get it. What is your number one thing for people to do or keep in mind when advocating for their own health? And then I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, and thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm, I'm really yeah. excited for it. Um, you know, honestly, I think, I think it's just what you said. Be an advocate. Don't be a passenger. It's your health. It's your body. Um, and find a way to be engaged and informed and collaborate with your doctors to get the results that you want and need. Love it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It was thank so nice to me. meet you. And I, thank you for the book. So good. Look at all my yellow notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.